0: And some schools had swimming pools, and some schools didn't. Some schools had tennis courts, and some schools didn't. So much of what you do as a child in the UK depends on what your, what your school is offering. And it's not, it's not level for everybody.
1: Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favourite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Inez Bebea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller.
2: Hola, I'm Inez Bebea. Hi, I'm Jamie Chen.
1: Hello, I'm Nathan Schiller, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Today, we are crossing the pond to London and talking with Roanne Bocut, one of the co-founders of 10 Iron Women.
2: This will be our second chance to dive into two sports that runners also tend to dip their feet into and can potentially be a challenge. On episode 16, we feature Michelle Mendoza and Cesar Argueta Jr. from Latino. Well, I mean, we had some
3: triathletes and as we all know, three disciplines, swimming, biking, running.
1: As an ultra runner, I'm always fascinated by triathlons because of the endurance element.
2: But before we jump into the challenge of swimming 3.8 kilometers, biking 180 kilometers and running 42 kilometers for a marathon or for us on the side of the pond 2.4 miles 112 miles on a bike and 26.2 miles running let's start with our sports legacy segment according to the triathlon magazine in 1974 the triathlon was invented by the san diego Tri club by the mission bay triathlon 46 people including at least a dozen women participated but it's not until 1979 when we get the first woman to complete the Ironman, Lynn Lemaire, who becomes the first woman to complete the Hawaii Ironman triathlon finishing in 12 hours, 55 minutes and 38 seconds. As the only woman in the race, she also earns the title of the first female Ironman world champion. Roanne, when you hear these milestones, how does it make you feel about the 10 Ironwomen?
0: Gosh, it still makes me feel like... 10 Iron Women, okay, yeah, we are trying to contribute our own thing to the history of Iron Man, but I, I still th- makes me think that we've got a long way to go.
1: Can you walk us through how 10 Iron Women came to be?
0: 10 Iron Women started kind of almost randomly. We're a bunch of women who were part of a running crew here in London. And we had heard about, well, another woman who had just talked about how she had finished in Iron Man. And we heard for the first time how long it was and how tough it was. And she said at that time that there wasn't many other women taking part. And then me and some friends had the idea of, oh, should we try and do an Ironman? Do you feel like it's something we could we can do? And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, it's really far. I don't even know if I want to train that much for that kind of distance. I'm happy with doing a marathon. I don't need to run like one kilometer over a marathon that's far enough but I think it was just kind of motivation from each other some other women kind of got interested when we were talking about it and then just one day after a run session we were like okay let's do this if we're not I don't want to do it alone I'd rather do it with a group of people so let's let's enter and we just decided on Ironman Barcelona literally there and then and we pretty much signed up next to each other. I remember getting my credit card out to pay for the entry fee with my friends around me. And I was like, what have we just done? And yeah, there happened to be 10 of us. So we named ourselves 10 Iron Women.
1: What were some of your obstacles in getting this group together?
0: I think everybody um, had their own individual obstacles of even wanting to sign up and getting even motivated to to want to do an Ironman and those were things finances time to train having the right equipment we learned so much about the different types of equipment you need really just not knowing a lot about triathlon especially Ironman distance triathlon yeah I guess the unknown was a huge barrier and we had to do a lot of learning
3: curious about the learning and I just feel I'm I'm nervous about, you know, triathlons. I keep saying I'll never do it, but you got 10 women to do it together. You went straight for the Ironman. Why not the half? How do you get these women together to train for the full?
0: Yeah, (laughs) actually, we all thought if we do a half, we'll never want to do a full distance because half is long enough, right? So half is still at least maybe... Five to seven hours for an amateur athlete, so it's still a really long time. And I, I thought if I do a half, I'm just going to be put off by w- wanting to do the full distance. Incidentally, in the training program that we do, there was an option to do a half, like scheduled into the plan, and some of us did like a DIY half where we kind of did each one of the distances on the same day, but no with no like race element and a lot of time between changing and stuff. So it's really casual. It took the whole day, obviously, but at least then we knew we could do the
3: distances. So you're already an athlete. Let's just talk about your background. You are a runner. You never wanted to do more than 26.2. How did you start running? When did swimming come into this? How did you get access to swimming and
0: learning? So I think I've been really fortunate in that respect. I've always had sport as part of my life. I started running track when I was a kid after my mom took me to see a track event and I was super hooked and was like I want to do that too. I was more of a sprinter short distance though when when I was younger and at the same time around that same age my mom forced me into swim lessons which was now in hindsight probably one of the best things she could have ever done and it was built off the motivation of the fact that she's quite scared of the water herself and she didn't want that to be me. So I started swimming just as a club kind of swimmer. At some point, swimming and running was a bit too much. so I chose running. And then because I'd started as a kid, i just carried on into adulthood, being quite active, switched back to swimming during university time and played um as part of the university water polo team, and then moved to New York, where I met Ines. And we were part of the Nike Run Club. And I think that got me started on the longer distances, really. Before then, I was okay, let's do a lot of more sprints, short, short distance. But then I started doing my first half marathon and first marathon. Yeah, my first marathon was the New York City Marathon, actually. So it was a great one to start with.
1: What was it like to run track? What did you really like about it? What drew you to it?
0: Yeah, so I started when I was like old enough to start at the local track club, which was around eight or nine. And I was just hooked on anything athletics-based. I loved watching the Olympics. I loved watching all of the, like... Track meets that were televised, and I think I always—I mean, the hundred-meter sprint, right, is the probably the most famous race of of an Olympic athletics championship. So, I always dreamt of being that runner (laughs) and and finishing first in the Olympics. You got to dream big, right? Even if you're not going to make it. And I was never fast enough to be 100 meters. So I moved to 400 at one point. I even dabbled with 400 meter hurdles, which is really tough and really tiring. I did a bit of long jump. I kind of did that until I was maybe 16 or so. And athletics was a big part of my life. So I would do it probably five days a week, including a gym session and strength and everything like that. Really trying to do Get to a higher standard. I was okay. I managed to represent my county and get to that level. I guess I was not good enough to make it any further. But at least it made me love sports, which I think is a gift because then I was kind of equipped to with a lot of knowledge to be able to just go train by myself when I went to uni and how what I needed to do, which maybe some people don't have if you have not done it or throughout childhood. But I. Made a switch to water polo during uni because I just needed something different. I'd done track for a long time and it was almost like I'm bored of this. I need something new. And I think I probably started doing some running then, like a bit longer distance, 5, 10K to keep myself fit for that, but didn't do any like competitive running throughout uni. And when I moved to New York, what I found was, for an adult, it's a lot easier to find a 5K, a 10K, or half marathon event to enter as an adult that's not part of a club, than it is to just rock up to a track event and run a 100 meters. I don't, I don't even know if they exist. I, I don't know if they exist here in the UK either. It's just not a thing. You can Google FindMyRace.com. There's not a 400 meter random adults if you want to come along and join so I it was easier to do longer distance let's do a 5k let's do a, a half marathon and when I joined Nike Run Club that's all they talked about was oh yeah that, let's do the New York City half or who's training for the New York marathon and I remember I did my first half marathon marathon I can't even remember. It was a women's run and it was two laps of Central Park. And well, I was hooked after that, although I could not walk for like a week after. And I was like, what is this? Because I'd never got this kind of muscle soreness after sprinting. But yeah, I'm innately competitive with myself, with my husband. Lots of things I want to be better at. And I just thought, okay, I put the marker down now of how fast I've done a half marathon. Let's get faster. Let's go further. And I appreciate that's not everyone's mentality, but that's probably what's kept me moving and doing sports into adulthood. And then you do so many marathons and then you're like, okay, what's next? And I guess that was Ironman Triathlon.
2: You mentioned what it's like running in the UK and then being in the States, like how hard it is to find access for certain races. So I'm curious if In the educational system, like if access to sports as you're growing up in the UK, is that open to everyone? Is it impacted by for where you live? Are there like less sports? Do you have to have money to like be into like swimming lessons? Because we're always curious to see how access to certain sports becomes about having the money for it and the kind of people who are left out if you don't have access to to money.
0: Yeah, so I can only speak about... The time when I was a child right and it, maybe it has changed now um, where I grew up but still those things existed for sure I mean I think athletics was a great thing for me not not coming from an affluent background I remember it was one pound for a session which is super cheap and I could walk there which was a key thing because my mum did not have a car so actually just Physically getting places was difficult for me, but I could walk to the athletics track, which incidentally also had the swimming pool. Um, I think the swimming also probably was not that expensive at the time. And w- what often you find is maybe it's not the actual s- Joining the sessions, that's the most expensive thing, but it's getting then all the kit. Of course, I wanted the best running spikes, but my first pair of running spikes, I still remember them, were secondhand for someone trying to help us out. And then also for swimming as well, I wanted the best swim costume or the latest swim float that my friends had. And then you have to get to all the different meets around the country and some of the time they are really at the other end of the country and you're leaving at 7am and coming back at 11pm or something and it it is really difficult and you need both probably financial support and also family support to get you to these places as a kid a lot of my friends at school did not go to swim lessons and swim club like I did my school provided swim lessons but they're not great I mean it was like for one term maybe six weeks of swim lessons and then you're done so it's one of those things of you kind of need to keep at it to get better and get stronger so I think probably I'd picked one of the cheapest sports just luckily my mom took me to ballet and I cried and hated it And she said it was the best day for me because I was not sure I was going to be able to afford for you to do dancing. (laughs) So she was like, okay, she doesn't like that. That's fine. We stick with athletics. But I, so things like that, things like tennis, those kind of things are very, were very much like financially difficult for people to get into. You had to, you had to have a certain level of finances. And then I think throughout school, especially secondary school, you get what's called PE or physical education lessons and they are part of the curriculum. You have to do it, but it's on a rotation. So you then would do hockey for a term on, and I don't know, football or something. And that is very much dependent on the school's facility. So how, how much money the school has then it impacts what you're going to be doing as a, as a teenager growing up and some schools had swimming pools and some schools didn't some schools had tennis courts and some schools didn't so much of what you do as a child in the UK depends on what your what your school is offering and it's not it's not level for everybody which is difficult and a a lot of debate uh, around parents as well
2: no that's really interesting because I think one of the reasons as we continue to do this podcast we find out how the access to things are, is, is a challenge for a lot of people, like depending on where you live or a single parent, or like a, even like a two household parent, like you can't afford certain things because, you know, work and transportation, like you said. So now you as an adult now have added biking that is also can be a very expensive sport, especially if you're doing triathlons. So what was your thought when you, you saw like, wow, I have to buy a completely different bike be able to do this how did you go through that and how did the women even think about that
0: yeah I think the cycling really swimming and cycling are the biggest barriers to triathlon it's easier to get on put on a pair of running shoes or find a pair of running shoes but the cycling element was something that I did not grow up with at all and was a, a new thing for me and I and it's probably a reflection of the majority of people probably getting into triathlon and at least the longer distance things are adults where you've now got your career and your own money to fund things because when I was like okay I need a new bike I could cycle I had cycle commuted when I was a student but I mean I thought I could cycle and then I start actually (laughs) getting on a road bike and I'm like what is this this does not feel safe and actually was one of the biggest challenges for me to get over mentally the cycling element because I knew I was physically strong but the mental part of the whole thing was difficult and I didn't even know where to start I think like if you go to a triathlon event I mean some of the bikes people ride look like spaceships they are crazy and then you look at how much they cost and you're like what that is like a cost of a car like what are you doing (laughs) and I was thinking okay well I don't love cycling enough to spend that much money or what know if I want to do triathlon that much again after this event to spend that much money so I got what I thought was a lower end brand bike but it was still not cheap at all Uh, and then slowly added things to the frame and changed things to like pimp it up when I had a bit more money I'm like okay now I can afford some new wheels now I can afford a new saddle all these kind of things and built my bike slowly yeah to what I wanted it to be but I still dream about bike like the bike I want now I've seen them and I've seen people riding them and they make this a beautiful sound if you if you hear like road cyclists go past oh road, it's that sound
3: you're speaking to me because <laughs> I am such a huge cycling nerd and like I just recently spent the price on the, a wheel set it costs almost three times the price of my actual bike and
0: yes exactly just
3: you know I i but when I ride it and I hear the sounds of my wheels it's just so it's sexy but yeah just accessing a bike who would have thought that two wheels can end up costing so much money
0: yeah even the clothes that you wear seem to just be so much more than a regular t-shirt or a pair of cycling shoes yeah like a cycling kit
3: a pair of shoes even the socks the helmet a helmet alone is more than a pair of shoes so yeah it's not a very cheap sport and that's a big barrier of entry for anybody and it's also intimidating for women to enter too because now you're talking about a mechanical item.
0: One of the things we talk about at 10 Iron Women when we ask people what barriers are and one of them is just worrying about how to even keep their bike maintained and, and that kind of thing when in reality it's not that difficult but you just need to learn. And there needs to be a place or a space where you can learn and and ask those questions.
1: How do you set up those questions or an infrastructure for people to get information? Because triathlon, there's the athletic component, there's a mechanical component, then putting it all together, getting to an event, being safe, maintaining your bike so that it's safe. How do you do that with your group?
0: We lean on our network a lot and our community a lot. We We've built this over the last five years or so. So we support people through our own experiences and also through the network. So for things like bike maintenance, we have an Instagram account where a lot of our engagement comes through and a lot of questions. Or we put our own polls out there of what people would like to learn about. And then we've got some great people that are happy to give their time and do like a Zoom session and talk through swim technique, open water swimming fears, cycling what you'd need we've done some work with some cycle sh- stores in London where we've we've done like sessions there and uh, just to try and make it a bit more accessible and people can see actually it's not a big deal one of the things about Ironman triathlon is that if anything happens mechanically on your bike you have to be able to fix it yourself you're not really allowed any support and there obviously are things that you can fix yourself and some things if you I mean if if you're Pedal falls off, it's is pretty much over. But things like just changing a tire, changing your inner tube when you get flat, a lot of people are like, I have no idea what to do. And when when you break it down, it's actually not that difficult. And I remember just before going to Barcelona for my event, I spent one evening of changing the inner tube and putting myself on timer i'm like okay i've got it down to two minutes now like this is a personal best and i think that having that just comfortable like confidence that you know okay i know what to do kind of gets rid of that part of the nerves for the day
2: so given now that you have your dream bike but you know, like the bike that you have now is just fine. You've you've delved into that part of it. You know about the latest running shoes. You, you've dabbled in that as a track, as a run, long distance runner, and not even swimming for a long time. Which is your favorite sport now?
0: Ooh. Oh, oh, st- still running. My yeah, I still I'm a runner at heart, and I think maybe because it's just something I can do quite easily, even now, uh, cycling. It's nice as a weekend thing with friends, but I just feel like it just takes more time like than if you want to just go out for a run. And cycling on the English roads is not necessarily the safest. Sometimes I get more stressed just because I'm, I'm worried about all the traffic. We have some parks quite close, which are nice, and they're like traffic free, but there's only so many times you can do like a 5K loop on a, on a bike or something like that before you get bored so I think it's always been running and then I would probably pick swimming and then cycling.
2: So you said New York City was your first marathon, what was it like?
0: Oh wow, big question because I mean it was New York City and my first marathon so think of all those emotions, gosh I think I remember like feeling, because it was my first marathon I was quite diligent with the training as like, I'm not going to miss a run. So I thought, okay, probably I can do this, but it's still really far and it's the unknown of anything could happen. Fortunately, I was running with a friend and I remember us, we were starting out on ours, like running over the Staten Island Bridge, thinking, Oh my God, we are doing it. This is amazing. They set people off in waves or something. And there was a gap in front of us. So it almost felt like we were at the front of the race. I remember just loving it. I had left New York by then. So I left in two fifteen, but had a spot because I'd done all the New York Roadrunner races. So I came back in 2016. So I was also, on top of everything else, super emotional for being back in the city that I really love so much. And running around all the neighbourhoods that I used to just go out in. Yeah, I think I probably even cried when I finished. (laughs) And then thought, I want to do that again (laughs) when I can walk. (laughs) You're describing the
2: same
3: feelings I felt, especially on Verrazano, where everybody's just yelling and screaming with joy. It's like we were like racehorses waiting, right? for the boom and then they they let us go and then when you run on that bridge everybody's just cheering each other and then when you descend the bridge if you remember like that huge crowd waiting at the bottom yeah there's the bottom bridge and the top bridge we end up splitting and then you reconvene again on fourth and it's like this amazing feeling with a whole bunch of thousands of runners just coming together and running down fourth avenue so How many have you done since then? It's been about six
0: years now. I've done London twice. At one point I was trying to go, I still want to do it actually, the six majors. So I've done Tokyo and I have Berlin and Chicago left. Well, you're
2: going to love Berlin and Chicago because they're both extremely flat. (laughs) So tell us like after Jamie and I I I have mentioned and like a lot of few of our guests have talked about what the running scene is like in New York, the fact that there's so many different groups, like different distances that you can do, like you can have Brooks in Brooklyn and the Bronx, Bridge Runners that goes global. So what's the running scene in like like in London?
0: Oh uh, well, I mean, there's a, a huge running scene in London. I run with Rundem crew who are almost like on par with bridge runners in terms of the starting the whole crew movement, right? For Charlie Dark and Mike Says. So That's kind of, I think, where crew culture started. And then rundem crew themselves, in their own right, in London are a big crew. And a lot of crews have kind of spun out from that. And I I probably can't count the amount of crews there are in London now, but there's each crew culture.
2: So now that you've run New York City and you know the crowds, you've run London and you've known the crowds, which one do you prefer? Oh good question. <laughs> and is that a trick question? <laughs> like, I mean, we'll still have you on the podcast if you pick London, it's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would pick London, I think. But maybe that's because at the t- when I ran London, I was running, I'd been part of Rundem Crew for a long time. And Run Rundem Crew have mile 21, Cheer them they have this huge support area. And I still remember running through that thinking, wow, am I actually in a marathon? Because this, this is epic. And Yeah, I think there's this, you always remember the finish line moments for sure, but the one in London, I mean, you run towards the palace, so... (laughs) it's pretty epic
1: (laughs) what are some of your favorite places to run in london
0: yeah i mean they're often based on where i live i've just moved actually so i need to find some new running spots and i've I've been out for a few runs and been like okay this is a great way to explore the neighborhood and i i haven't got like my go-to run route yet i ran a lot around hyde park because it was maybe 5k away from where i lived so it was perfect for like a long run Um, and regent's park as well so London has a lot of parks and they're all pretty much great for runners of varying distances.
2: So if we can go back a little bit, talk about like iron women, Why did you decide on Barcelona and where all the women that are part of, the were part of the first group, were every, was everyone based in London?
0: Nine of us were based in London and then one of us, her name is Paris. She was based out in Australia, but she had fairly recently just moved So, just for a bit of background, not every Ironman, like not every marathon route, is the same and the same with the three different disciplines. So, you can either have a swim in the sea or lake, a flat or a hilly bike course, and a flat or a hilly run. And we had to toy between do we want a flat bike or do we want a lake swim? Because we have people that were not comfortable with the sea. In the end, all of us were like, okay, we are on the bike for the most amount of time. We want a flat bike course. And Barcelona is pancake flat. We compromised with the sea swim. But fortunately for us, when we did it, the sea was almost like a lake. It was a really still day, which was perfect. Really, that's the only reason. Obviously, it being in Europe still helped. I
2: imagine at the end, you guys went out and had bus. So that's probably also a good location.
0: <laughs> yeah, good food. <laughs> definitely. It was, it's also in October, which meant we had all of the summer to train. If we'd picked something that was more in April, May type thing, we would have been training a lot through the winter, which none of us really wanted to do.
2: So then you get the first 10 women to do it, then the pandemic happens. Like, How do you get the new class, new women involved in wanting to do this and keeping the tradition going to get more? Because the goal, as you said before, is to get more women into all of these specialties and then just be and have a huge number in the Ironman world.
0: I mean, when we started, it was really an individual personal challenge of, can we do this? Let's see if we can. And we'd set up this Instagram account, as you do, to track your journey. And uh, over the year of us training, we got quite a big following, people really hooked. And it was really after we finished, we got a lot of people messaging us on Instagram saying, what are you going to do next? How are you going to keep this going? Please don't let this stop. You've inspired me so much and we were like oh my god okay so our first goal was like can we get to the finish line of Ironman Barcelona 2019 and probably a couple of days after when we could walk again we're like okay so what's the next step going to be should we pass the baton on to 10 other women and they can take over and do kind of the same thing again but we knew that participation was really low for women especially in Man, between 10 and 20 percent depending on the event and restricting it to 10 more would have not really helped us increase participation and we didn't really know how we could choose what kind of criteria we would do to say okay now it's going to be you and we just didn't want to do that so we changed our goal to okay let's see if we can get a 50-50 split of men women in an Ironman event that would be awesome let's get as many people as we can and we'd put the feeders out on Instagram would you be interested we've got like a hundred responses thinking oh this is okay this is great I think around 20 or so had signed up to Ironman Barcelona in 2020 and we were then kind of just trying to facilitate showing their journey of course covid happened so they weren't able to do the event but a lot of them did it last year in 2021 and then now we've put the goal out there okay 2023 we want this to be as many women as possible let's just join us enter barcelona and we're currently now in that period of this campaign to try and get more women to sign up we've now got links with Ironman and they've been helping us like track how I and mean, women we've got signed up and it's like over 40 or so that have said that they're going to join us, which is like incredible. So now we are building training plans. We're working with some female coaches and we're just trying to build a whole support network and community for these women to get them to the start and finish of Barcelona.
3: So are we limiting 10 women to just the UK area? Or are we going to come across the pond
0: and we've got some other women possibly you
3: know, yeah, that, that can got- join
0: internationally? For sure. I guess we're very London centric because that's how we started, but we don't want to be that way. Um, and we've got Lucy now and Paris, they're over in Australia. And we've had one girl already join us from the States and she came over to Barcelona yeah we've got a few people that at least are following us and engaged and want, and want to join us at some point so we would love it to go international and get because I mean that, that's great I mean there's inequality in participation in sports it's not just a UK or European thing right it's global so we need to spread the word. What about sponsorship? We've not had like any like official sponsorship. We've been gifted things, done some work with people and some different brands, but they've always been one-off events. Um, I think we probably find it difficult to decide who that would be at the moment based on what what we want to do and what we want to achieve. It's difficult with all three sports. Often sponsors are like, okay, we are running Focus Brand or something like that. So it's definitely something we think about and we're open to, but we haven't really found the right fit yet. Do
1: you ever experience any not as friendly reception? Or has it just been all good and everyone's receptive and excited?
0: Yeah, I think it's been very positive. Even Iron Man themselves are really keen to work with us. I think we've had maybe one or two comments on Instagram of people being, oh, are you scared because it's called Iron Man or something like that? But I mean, these kind of people, are, I don't even know if it's an actual person or a bot or something like that. But I think one of us even said it. Oh, we're, we're doing something good if we've got a troll now. So, <laughs> But I, I don't want people to think that we don't like the brand Iron Man. There are definitely some things that they could change and they know that. And we're working with them on those things of like inclusion. And I don't want people to think that we also don't like the name Iron Man as a brand and because that's just a brand it's not been potentially written that way to exclude women and but some people might view it like that and I guess one of the biggest things is sometimes just educating people I've had people say to me oh you're doing an an Ironman what's the what's the distance then for women and I'm like but the same as the men you know and they're like oh I said Ironman can women do that then this is Ironman so it's just a handful of people, but still, if they can think that, then then other people can too. And so we just want to be out there showing people what we're doing. And it's been very positive so far. So,
1: What are some of those things that you were working on with Ironman? You mentioned inclusion stuff.
0: They also know that the female participation is low and they've decided that they want to work on that. We work with them on trying to, for them to understand the barriers that maybe women face that we've discussed already around like mechanics and that kind of thing but then also just telling them how they could make the actual event better for women and some things that probably they just hadn't thought of and we were like you know if you could just supply sanitary stuff for women in in because an Man is a very long event and if you're a woman and you have your period that could really put you off like doing that right and someone posted I don't know them but we found that through Instagram someone posted that they had to DNF because there wasn't any facilities and uh, as she just started her period during the event and so those things they're like oh, this is super easy for us to do we just didn't know about it and we should have and then having these changing spaces for women, they actually do do that, but they don't really advertise that and say like, "Enter this event. Yeah, you do have to change out your sweat, wetsuit," and that can make some people feel uncomfortable doing that in front of other people. So really advertise that you have changing facilities where you can change and you're not in the view of the public. Things like that. One of the one of the biggest things actually is getting more images of women on their Instagram we often have not just you've not seen it you see a picture of an iron man and it's advertising and it's the swim star and it's a sea of men and just pushing the image of women doing it out there gets other women thinking oh I think I could I could do that
2: I'm glad that you gave us now these visual examples of like what you guys experienced when you are on the course we can you like take it back from the very beginning like for people like myself like the only photos I've, I've ever seen is, like, people coming out of the water. Like, I don't know where the transition is from, like, the water to, what is it, like, the bike. If you could give us, like, the entire breakdown of how these changing stations are set up and what happens.
0: So the transition zones sometimes are different depending on the triathlon, but for Iron Man. I think they're probably similar and because it's a full distance and they have thousands of people they're huge areas so it's just one large transition zone the day before the event you have to take your bike there and you rack your bike so it's there and ready on on the day so you get given your race number and bag obviously and you have to stick your number on your bike and all these things and then on the morning of the event you can go back to your bike Fill it with nutrition, put your nutrition bags on there and um, prep your transition area. So if you know, like when you have your bag, your race bag for a marathon is one bag. But for Ironman, there's three of them. And it's actually can be quite overwhelming the night before going, why have I got all these bags? What do I need to do? So you have a bag where you put your wet swim stuff in and then you have a bag that you have your dry run clothes in and they're all in the same spot. And so I wore tri-suits which is a triathlon suit that I can swim in I can cycle in and I can run in and that's just because I didn't want to get changed but a key thing to point out and another thing probably that uh, probably puts a lot of women off is that and you can actually do a full change after swim and after the run if you want after the bike if you want to but I had a tri-suit on and then I put my wetsuit on over the top of the tri-suit and obviously swim hat and goggles. And you do the swim start. It's quite emotional. There's a lot of theatrical music and things. So, yeah, you do the swim. And then there is quite a distance because you run out of the swim. There's lined by people cheering you, which is amazing. And then you come into this big changing tent. You find your number and you have a bag that you put your wet suit into. And then I just pulled out my helmet. And my bike shoes from my bag that I put in there and maybe had a gel or something. And then I had to go from the tent to my bike. And I had my bike shoes with me because I'm not skilled enough to put my feet into my shoes while they're clipped on the bike. Some people do that to save time. But I ran with my shoes (laughs) and then put them on by the bike and then took my bike out. It's called bike out. So you go out the bike and then you do your bike loop for a few hours and then you come back rack your bike again in the same spot and at this point you can go back into the changing tent and change into your run stuff if you want to so yeah I put <clears throat> took my bike shoes off and went to the changing tent and put my run shoes on and there's bathrooms um but I didn't need to change my clothes I think because I was wearing this tri suit so I just got, topped up my nutrition in my nutrition belt and then went out on the run yeah, so it, it is quite a bit t- more to remember and to think about than when you're doing an, a marathon or a half marathon. But I guess the more you do, the more you get used to that.
2: So are these changing areas just open to everyone or it's just like just women in mm-hmm. on one side or men on the other? Because I know you mentioned the challenge of like one woman who said that she DNF because she would have needed a bathroom for like her, her period had she yeah. started. Like, how is that set up? So the changing
0: area is w- the general area where you're racking all your bikes and your bags and things they are mixed it's either based on your on the alphabet or something whatever system they use probably the time that you entered the race it's kind of a bit random so I definitely remember seeing men around next to me just for the record I think full nudity is not allowed (laughs) so you if you do want to do a change you have to go to a changing tent and so you shouldn't worry about turning around and seeing naked people but so then the changing tents are in the transition area but not exactly where you put your run clothes or something you where your peg is but they are men and women but I didn't use them so I don't actually know if there was a bathroom in there what I did know is that the the bathrooms are around the outside or or for or whoever there's no not there's no separation
2: well, thanks for clearing that up that nudity is not allowed in the Iron Man tent. And also to bringing up the natural cause things of women, that you have your period and have your period as part of being healthy. And then it needs to be a conversation to make people feel comfortable you know, because we hear a lot about like that's is nobody's is using it as an excuse not to do it, but it's, it needs to be a consideration as well because it's part of nature. So, what is next on the calendar for 2022, and then what are you looking forward to in 2023?
0: Uh, so, for 2022, I think we're all having a bit of a break. <laughs> we we will be doing some like Zoom sessions uh, for the new members of the community. So. The registration for Ironman Barcelona 2023 has just opened and we have women in the community who have signed up because of us. So there is some responsibility to take care of these women now. And they are all new to triathlon and just want to give it a go for the same reasons that we started. So we will be starting some zoom sessions with the coaches that we've got on board with us about what they should be doing in this kind of pre-training period and we like to do social events that are often geared around let's go for a ride or a run so we'll start to do those things a bit more again as part of the training as well because otherwise it becomes very lonely and then the big goal obviously is Barcelona 2023 We might not get that 50-50 split, but we had to put it out there. And if it doesn't happen this year, we just keep working towards it. And I think we'll definitely have more women as part of the 10 Iron Women community out there than we ever have. And then in the build up to Barcelona, we haven't finalized anything yet, but we are looking at different races throughout the year to get people more comfortable with racing, triathlon, maybe a half distance. But there's some triathlons where the swim is like a pool swim, it's very short, which is great for people who are nervous about swimming to build up their confidence.
2: I had a quick question. You mentioned that you've gotten more women already registered. Are women registered under you as a team?
0: So you can... Um, register your club which we have done as a triathlon club and then when you register it asks you if you're part of a club or even if you don't so if you you can do this later on as well you just go into your account and you select 10 iron women under your club name and it's a good way for us to track who who is signed up with 10 iron women but also what's great is iron man you you win like club points and club spots so that you can get free places for every like 10 or so entries you've got. And also if you are one of the biggest clubs there, so the top three clubs get us a bit more special treatment.
3: Thanks for taking us through all those details, we're going to go to the hot mic section. I think this is the part where she gets to convince more women so she can hit the 50-50 split.
2: Or she could also decide which, I mean, she's already picked London Marathon over New York. So probably pick London Metro over MTA, but that's any of us will pick anybody else over MTA.
0: Well, I probably will use the opportunity to plug 10 Iron Women then and Ironman Barcelona 2023 because it's definitely not too late to sign up. And if people are curious to learn more, they can find us on 10 Iron Women at, on Instagram and that's the number 10 and then Iron Women or 10ironwomen.com we're very responsive so people reach out to us we will message them back and I think I would just say that people who are da- on the fence or doubting that they could do an Ironman Man. Uh, we've done it it's definitely possible and I know I've talked a lot already about like, yeah I've come from a sporting background and that people might think that's why I've been able to do this and I I really want to emphasize that you know, all of the t- original 10 Ironwomen were sporting backgrounds as children actually one of the girls was like I hated sports I was always picked last in all the teams and yeah I think what you need around you is a support system a community and then the drive to want to do it so I would just say we need to push these boundaries and push these barriers and we can't do it without people joining us and wanting to be involved yeah I would just say please don't be scared about triathlon or scared about a marathon one of the women in 10 Iron Women had not done a marathon before doing an Ironman. So her first marathon was in the Ironman. So, yeah, I think even if it's not triathlon and it's just marathon or swimming or something, why don't you just take a leaf of faith or so and just try and pick something that's new? Or if you want to do a triathlon, doesn't have to be Iron money though. Why don't you do a sprint? It's a lot shorter. Just to like dip your toes into it, especially for the women who are listening to this, because I find that men are often a bit more like, I'm just going to try. And if I fail, I fail. Whereas women are like, oh, I'm not going to enter because I'm worried I'm going to fail. I'm one of those as well. It's been for me also something I've been like, okay, will I be good at this or not? And it was through the community and people saying, come on, let's do this together. That got me there as well.
1: That's a great way to bring the show full circle, Ron. I want to thank you. You've given us great insight into triathlon, the mechanics of it, the specific issues and barriers that women face, and a really inspiring message for everyone to try this extremely difficult sport. Really excited to see how our group keeps going and what you're doing next. And we're just glad to have you on the show. So on behalf of Nez and Jamie, thank you, and to our listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store. And follow us on Spotify.